And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable, the most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital, like Antoine when Welcome the city Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan. And I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen. And we are coming to you live right after the Brooklyn Nets take or take down the Cleveland Cavaliers. And so they will be playing the Boston Celtics in the first round of the NBA playoffs, the First game, game one on Sunday. Jay, what's your reaction to the Celtics getting Brooklyn and I guess the Brooklyn Nets win over these Cavaliers? It's going to be a juicy first-round series, isn't it? I mean, on top of the star power of Durant and Irving and Tatum and Brown and the way the Celtics have played over the past few months versus the team with maybe the best player in the world. You also have the whole Kyrie angle, which is obviously, you know, his history with Boston, including last year when he stomped on Lucky. Oh, he stomped the logo. Oh, the the worst thing anyone's ever done, stomping the logo. I'm just saying, but the the Celtics, (laughs) the Celtics responded to that like, like little children, they they were afraid to to stand up for themselves, and now I I imagine they have a coach who would rather have seen them have a little bit of a reaction to that. Uh, so it's it's going to be a fun series. It's going to challenge the Celtics. It is going to really make them defend because on top of Durant and Kyrie, who might be the two best isolation players in basketball. There's there's just a lot of shooting elsewhere. Bruce Brown just had an awesome, awesome game against Cleveland. So it is definitely not the easiest first-round matchup the Celtics could have had. But they played their guys, and now we get what should be a, a really fun matchup. Yeah, it's I don't know how much – I wouldn't say Bruce Brown. He did have a good game um, against the Cavaliers, but there's not that much shooting. We saw uh, – Seth Curry out there. I don't even think he had um, any points there tonight. Uh, at least he didn't knock down any threes. But it's like hard to take away much from this Cavs game because they were pretty much blitzing every Kevin Durant or Kyrie pick and roll. And we just saw the Nets be able to play four on three and just get easy bucket after easy bucket with that that sweet Bruce Brown to Nick Claxton connection. And just with the Celtics switching everything, it's going to be an entirely – different type of basketball game and the the Nets are going to have to go um one-on-one and they are well equipped to do that with KD and Kyrie Kyrie Irving I think where the Celtics 
have the biggest advantage is on the other side of the court where I just don't think this the Nets uh, necessarily have the defense to hold up with the Celtics, especially if the the Celtics kind of ball movement is uh, as good as it's been in, I would say, the last month or so. Um, but it is going to be a, a very like difficult series because as we saw Kyrie tonight, he made his first 11 or maybe 12 shots. Like both Kyrie and KD have a, have a potential to go off for an easy 80. I think the question is the Celtics are just going to need to continue scoring the basketball. I mean, the Cavs tonight, they only lost by seven. They didn't really start making shots until like a run in the third quarter. They shot only 44%. The Celtics are going to need to do better from that. And I think uh, one of the recipes for the success for the Celtics is making threes. They're going to need to just continue scoring on the Nets who don't, to me, look like they put up much of a defensive resistance. Like if the Nets are going to win games this series, it feels like it's going to be in some shootouts and they win like 140 to 130, where if the Celtics can keep the kind of the, the scoring down or keep their stars in check, they're going to have a much better chance of uh, winning this series. Yeah, and I think it'll be interesting to see how the Celtics defend Durant and Kyrie. And I think, you know, Cleveland tried to do more man-to-man early and Kyrie went wild. Obviously, Durant is going to do what he does. And by the end of it, they were just selling out double teaming and leaving open Bruce Brown and Nicholas Claxton on the backside. Those guys got a ton of easy looks in the fourth quarter because of how Cleveland was forced to guard the other two guys and for Boston like that's part of the challenge of playing the Nets is you have to balance you know making it really difficult on the two main guys and making sure you're not overreacting to them hitting tough shots you know they're, they're going to go on runs where they hit tough shots and I think that's going to be part of the challenge for Boston of the first round series and a challenge that they wouldn't have gotten quite frankly from any other team possible as a, as a first round matchup is that, you know, there are going to be runs when when Kyrie hits six or seven tough shots in a row. There are going to be runs when Durant has 20 or 25 points and a half. And you have to be able to take that and keep your form and make sure that, that you know, overreacting to those guys doesn't open up cracks for everybody else and that you still make everybody earn it. And so... I do think, you know, this this Brooklyn defense is obviously very susceptible and you know, they they played you know, just just a handful of minutes without Durant. I think he played 41 minutes. He's averaged like more than 40 minutes. They've basically been in a playoff run of their own to try to get into the 7-8 playing game lately. And so he's been playing a ton of minutes. Um how do you take advantage of that? Will it, can you tire him out, make him guard, uh, make his minutes more difficult? And then how do you take advantage of when he's out? Because we saw with Cleveland, like as soon as he went out, Brooklyn just had a really tough time. And I, I think that that should be one of Boston's advantages is that, you know, they're seven, eight, even ninth man. If they go nine deep, those guys you know, can, can be threats and and they can hurt you. Whereas with Brooklyn, it's, they're either choosing offense with Curry or Mills or Dragic, or they're choosing defense with some of the other guys. And they don't have a ton of two-way threats 
uh, in their rotation. I don't even know if they they have defensive choices because like who what's their their best defensive Brown, lineup? Kessler Edwards, uh, Nick Claxton. Like bring it on if you want to put out like Nick Claxton and, and Kessler Edwards for uh, a long extended period of time and just not Edwards had a tough you, tough little run in that first half. It feels like if the Nets want to be like their most potent or most successful, they need to have someone like um, Seth Curry or Patty Mills out there. And uh, they just you want to surround the kind of two main guys with shooting so you can't help off of them. And it just feels like no matter what the, the lineup that the Nets put out there, the Celtics are going to be able to exploit them or should be able to um, when the Celtics are on offense. I think – it's gonna be. I'm very curious to see like what they do with um, Andre Drummond, who has has like a long history of um, putting up like 20, 20 games against the Celtics. But it feels like um, this Celtics team they can go small. I think it like if they want to play Andre Drummond and play drop coverage, I feel like that pick and pop with Al Horford can be a real um, way to attack the Nets. I just don't know what exactly the Nets lineup is. Like who's their – it's very hard to figure out their best five guys and let, and like what their most potent lineup is on both ends of the court. And is it is it Kevin Durant at center? Because even then I still feel like no matter what five guys the Cel- or the Nets run out there, I feel like the Celtics are going to have some sort of offensive advantage or some place to attack, whether it's them having – playing the kind of the, the larger guys in Claxton and Drummond. I feel like the Celtics have a way to attack that. Or if they go smaller, I think the Celtics just with their their sheer size, um, you're just gonna have easy easy post ups of Jalen Brown on Patty Mills or Seth Curry or Tatum on those guys or even Marcus Smart on those guys. It feels like I don't know what exactly the answer is for the Nets in terms of stopping the Celtics. Yeah, I think that should be the Celtics' biggest advantage in this series is the size of their perimeter guys and the skill of their perimeter guys versus a backcourt that doesn't have much size and doesn't have much defensive ability. Like you're going to be able to go at Patty Mills. You're going to be able to go at Goran Dragic. You're going to be able to go at Kyrie. You're going to be able to go at Seth Curry. And you're going to be able to attack those guys on switches and try to get them matched up against Jason Tatum. And and that's just going to put them in really, really difficult situations throughout this game, throughout the series. And how the Celtics take advantage of that could determine how the series goes. Like, they, that should be a huge, huge advantage for them that the Nets really don't have many options on the perimeter and e- even guys like Marcus Smart, Derek White, like they've got size. They can get to the basket and they can hurt bad defenders. Um, never mind Tatum, who we saw what he did last time they played Brooklyn, went off for 54 points, I think it was, and and really hurt them like they were switching Seth Curry on him. So Brooklyn's going to have to figure out something to – be able to hide guys, be able to switch out of switches immediately, be able to double him and recover to other guys. Like it's going to be really, really difficult for their defense. I think for them, this is probably if 
one of the most difficult matchups they could have seen at least um, just because of how much stress Tatum and Brown especially will put on those non-defending Brooklyn perimeter guys. Like that's that's a huge, huge issue for Brooklyn to figure out during this series. And I think it's like KD really has to be, I think, the Nets' best defender in this series if they want like want a chance at winning this. Like he is the only guy. Bruce Brown is a is a very talented player, but he's not doesn't provide you with the most size. He has like a lot of toughness, and I think he knows the game well, but. Beyond that, there's Drummond, there's Claxton. I think those guys are going to split time. But then it basically becomes KD's your your power forward. And it feels like he's the natural person to guard Jason Tatum. And I know they used Brown on him. Um, I think he did a pretty decent job, albeit in a game that Tatum scored 54. Uh, but I think that's another key to the Celtics' success is making KD really work hard on the defensive end, making Kyrie really work hard on the defensive end. Because I think for that's it's just one very good way to to make it so those both those guys don't go for forty. Like I think this for the Nets to win this series, they need both KD and Kyrie, or maybe just one of them to have super games in, in four out of seven. And I think if you're making both of them work for the forty to forty five minutes they're going to be on the court the entire time on the defensive end, which I think the Celtics are capable of. It just makes that that job for them on offense that much harder and makes it that much harder to knock down shots. Like I don't really feel like Kyrie Irving was like put through the the runner tonight when he was scored his thirty four points. It like the Cavs are just really could not make many shots whatsoever. And so the Celtics really going to have to make those guys, and I think especially KD, just because he is the best player in basketball, make him work as hard as possible on the defensive end and hope that affects his offensive game. Yeah, especially with the amount of minutes that those guys are going to have to play. I mean, we saw it last year when the Nets played the Bucks, and Durant was averaging close to 48 minutes a game. I think he played 53 minutes in game seven of that series. And it didn't really hurt him then. Like he was able to. to <laughs> He's still to, Kevin Durant. You know, you know he, who he was. He, is. he was unbelievable. But I, I think he said after that, that the series like took basically everything out of him and that, you know, if, if he'd had to go to into another series, like it, like his legs just weren't there anymore. Uh, so even though he was able to summon, summon it during that series, like they, they really pushed him to the limits of what he could do. Um, and, and like you said, like Durant, because of their defensive holes, he's going to have to do a lot. And and his minutes are going to be really tough. For the Celtics, I think it'll be really interesting. We saw this the last time they they played the Nets, um, where Celtics switched so much. And it's going to put a lot on Al Horford. You know, especially he's had the, the back soreness that he's talked about recently um, that he was dealing with even before the game against Memphis, even though he played and played well, um, he is going to be out on switches against Kyrie. He is going to be out on switches sometimes against Durant. They're, they're going to target him. Yeah, they are definitely going to target him. And I think without Robert Williams behind him, even though Daniel Tice has played well, like it, that just makes it a little tougher. And you have to execute a little better 
behind him to to make those matchups, make sure that those matchups don't just deteriorate into Kyrie and Durant cooking and getting going and eventually getting to a place where they can hit not just the easy ones, but all the tough ones too. Um, so I, 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 could, I, I could see Horford being targeted like, like time after time if the Celtics are going to switch as much as they did during the regular season. Do you think we see a lot of a too big lineup? I mean, they, they, they do play, I guess, Drummond and Claxton a lot, but it feels like, do you put Tice and Horford on the court and give, maybe it's, it's two options of guys, uh, those uh, kind of one-on-one scores can target, but you have a little bit of a uh, backline support at the rim or do you expect them to see him go small? I feel like Grant Williams got a lot of time um, and gets a, a decent amount of time just up against, I think we saw him got a time guarding Giannis against the Bucks, um, even guarding up guys like Jokic. I think no one can really guard KD, but how do you expect them to deal with that big rotation? Do you think they go double bigs? Do you think they kind of go smaller with White, or do you think we see uh, a lot of Grant Williams? I think, uh, I mean, that's going to be an interesting decision. I honestly don't know what the best answer is. I do know that, you know, if if the Nets do play Bruce Brown and Nick Claxton a lot, like they did against Cleveland, like they did in crunch time against Cleveland, then those are two, I don't want to say hiding spots because, you know, the those guys can do some stuff, but it's like, those aren't guys you have to guard super attentively all the time. And if, if you have Horford and Tice on those guys, then you can, you can have keep size out there and still be able to, you know, not have super, super difficult matchups, except, you know, when you have to go to switches, um, the, the Tice Horford duo, you know, we haven't seen a ton of it obviously, but it's been starting lately and the Celtics offense has looked really amazing during those minutes. And like I said, like it's been against some teams that haven't been playing everybody, whether because of injuries or like the Grizzlies just were sitting everybody because it was the last game of the season. But the offense during those minutes has been really crisp. Uh, and if, if you can maintain that offense and still have more size out there, then I think you probably – try to get away with that but if if the offense starts to go a little bit and I don't know if it will against Brooklyn because their defense isn't great then obviously you have Grant Williams to to be the four next next to Al Horford um the the problem with doing too much of that or maybe even starting that if if you want to do that is that then you have to go smaller probably off the bench whether it's Tatum at four or Brown at four or whatever um, you just don't have as much size off the bench in, in that case. So we'll see what they do. We'll see how long Robert Williams misses. You know, they still haven't ruled him out of the first round. I, I don't, ex- they've said that they don't expect him back in the first round, but they haven't ruled it out yet. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how much time he needs to miss if, if he comes back at some point during the first round, because obviously that would change some things for Boston. And I think give them a little more margin for error in this series. As long as yeah, he's right, and there's no promise that he'll be like come back flying around like normal. Yeah, that's the big question. Is like you don't want to have him come back early and have him either risk re-injury or just like a lot of his game is predicated on him being the most explosive player on the court. And so if he comes back 
especially only three weeks after surgery, is he going to be ready to do so? You hear some rumblings. I don't know. You're much more connected to these things, too. Um, most of my rumblings come from just listening to other people's podcasts. But, like, the fact that they haven't ruled him out of the first round is interesting. The other rumblings we're hearing, and I have just no idea. I would actually be shocked if this happens. But is there a chance Ben Simmons plays in this series? Yeah, I mean, they, they've they talked about it. Our guy, Sham Sharania, has reported that there's – I think he said there's optimism that Simmons could come back at some point in the first round. Nobody's really seen him run, at least. He has not been on a basketball court for the entire year. I feel like that's just a crazy decision to try and integrate him onto a team where no one on the team has played a game with him. Yeah, and at the same time... They could use uh, the help. (laughs) They could use the help. They could use the size. They could use the defense. If he is right, and I have no clue whether he is, then he gives you another option against Tatum. He gives you another option against Brown. He lets you sw- sit one of the smaller guys who would be a defensive hole and somebody to target. Um, so if he is able to play, he would fill a lot of holes. And and you can see how Bruce Brown had just so much space. You know, like that. That's what playing with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving does for for you is all of a sudden you have so much space to operate. And if if he's the screener and the roller. And you have to double Durant because he's Kevin Durant. Then, then maybe that's that's a way for Ben Simmons to really thrive. But like you said, you know he he hasn't played in a year. And I think the last time Steve Nash <laughs> spoke about it, like he hadn't even progressed to running yet. So it, it's it's tough to play in a playoff series if if you haven't been running much, or if you only recently progressed to running and. You know, the last time we saw him in a competitive game was a year ago. He's dealt with back stuff. He's dealt with all sorts of stuff. So he's he's like the ultimate wild card in this series because if he does play and he's right, then that's a major, major thing. Um, but also there's a chance that he's not right, that he hurts the Nets because he can't move right and because he's a non-shooter – and because he's a weird, he's a, I don't know want to say a weird fit, but he's a, he's, no, no, he's not he's the easiest fit. guy to fit into a basketball roster. Like he's a very unique player, uh, especially when you're playing in the half court, which in a playoff series, you tend to do a lot of. So ultimate wild card. And, and I have no clue if he'll play. It does seem far fetched to me that he'll play just based on the updates of what he's done so far. Um, it just doesn't seem like someone who's progressing toward being available for the highest intensity basketball of the season against a team that has the best defense in the NBA. Um, but we'll see. I mean, and obviously that's, that's a big deal one way or another. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep. 
You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. It's just a wild idea. To, like the last time we saw Ben Simmons was in that Hawks series where he seemed scared to go to the line. Um, scared to even attempt to dunk, got called out by his teammates for his debut or his, his like return to basketball to be in the playoffs in high intensity moments where he has never played with any of these teammates. It just seems like a, a incredibly wild idea. And then you throw on the stuff you just mentioned about him not apparently like having run yet. It just it's entirely insane to me. I think. Like Bruce Brown does get to operate with a lot of space. And Bruce Brown, I just checked it, 40% from uh, three this year. I mean, only taking 1.3 per game, but still a much more willing shooter than Ben Simmons. I think it's just, it would be, I think, just a crazy adjustment for the Nets to have to go in and try to figure out how to integrate Ben Simmons into their playoff roster. Where I just don't think they have the largest margin for error. Uh and, so it'd be and, it'd be crazy. I would I think in front of the Boston fans, like I think there's just no way Ben Simmons comes back if it's not a game in Brooklyn. I just like that's just feels like you're asking a lot of your temperamental star to make his day his return to basketball in front of the uh, TD Garden faithful. I mean, you you can't shield him forever though. Like he's a guy. Obviously, the his last playoff game did not go well. The fourth quarters in his last playoff series did not go well. But he's played a lot of playoff basketball. He's played a lot of never been out of the second round. Though I'm, I'm just saying, like you, you, if he's ready to play, they're not going to sit there and say, you know what, we're going to shield Ben from playing in Boston. We're going to hold off two more games. Like that's that's just not something that that I believe the Nets should ever consider. In in their equation, uh, though, though. Oh, one I, other I think they the, play him. I think they just he might not uh, adjust that well to the environment. Yeah, I mean that, that's that's certainly fair. That's I mean he wasn't like he was lighting the playoffs on fire the the last time he he was in them. The uh, the other part of this is, you know, I think Bruce Brown the way he played tonight, the way he played last season in the playoffs. He's one of their what four best players? He's their. Th- I think he's their third most important player uh, after KD and Kyrie. He played forty minutes tonight. Like he 
needs to play like be probably their best defender and then a playmaker for them on offense. Yeah, and and I I just think that if Simmons does come back, it's going to be tough to play him and Bruce Brown together because their skill sets are very similar. And by that I mean they they, they don't shoot. Ne- you neither can't of them have two are complete non-shooters on the floor. Maybe you can play like Simmons works just giving you some size and you play like a Simmons as the five man and then surround him with KD, Kyrie, Patty Mills and Seth Curry. But even then it just feels like you're asking a lot of Ben Simmons in that scenario. Yeah. And I mean, for the Celtics, like I, I think they're obviously one of the bigger concerns for them is do they have enough shooting, especially in crunch time? We've seen, you know, earlier this year, maybe that's not even right to think back on it, um, but the execution wasn't always great. They haven't played a ton of close games since then because they've been blowing teams out, but still. Um, and I think in this series, like, you're going against Kevin Durant. <laughs> you know, like, if if you are failing to execute, then the other team is coming back and it's it's Kevin Durant. And so there's pressure just in that, you know, like, like it's just added pressure that Kevin Durant's on the other side. And so I think from a, a mental challenge standpoint, like this is a totally different series than it would have been if it was Cleveland, totally different series than it would have been, even if it's Toronto, which is, I think a very good team. Um, but like these guys, they know Kevin Durant. They they played the Nets last year, and obviously situations were very different for both teams. But they got wiped out, and Jalen Brown didn't play, and Romeo Langford and Jabari Parker did play, and James Harden was was on the court. So a lot is different. But at the same time, like this is a Celtics team that as as much playoff history as Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart have um, like the scenario is the situation is very different now and I feel like with their current formula as well as they've played over the last few months they're still very unproven in in the playoffs and and maybe that's not fair because they you know Tatum's been to the Eastern Conference Finals twice Jalen's been Three times, although he was very much a bit piece the the first year he went when he was a rookie. Um, but I, I do think like the way that those guys are used now as one and the first and second option and the really who's number three, uh, I don't know, but but it, it's a it's a very different challenge for them now than it was in the past. And so I, I do think like there's something to needing to overcome Kevin Durant that that will be an issue that they have to to conquer, um, if that makes sense. And may, maybe I'm just giving that that too much credit, um, but I know how much Tatum has looked up to Durant, and this is really like the the biggest challenge when when Eme told Tatum earlier in the season like don't look up to these guys like you are these guys, you know, and don't give them too much respect. Like this is, this is his opportunity to go out and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm next up. 
and and not only am I next up, I'm up now. And so th- this is and he Tatum whipped their ass last year. Like he really killed them with the exception of one game. Um, but this is this is a big series for him. And like Kevin Durant is the guy. He's the guy right now. And the Celtics need to beat him. So that was great analysis, wasn't it? <laughs> It He's was great the analysis. They, they, they will need to beat him. That's why Great they point. pay you the big bucks. Uh, just a, a quick update: Scott Foster did just give Luke Marcus Morris a tech. Um, so that's just fantastic stuff going on in the Western Conference right now. I do think you're right. Like they have to stay did within their system. Did he did not spank his ass. His ass. Uh, no, it did not happen. Um, so it's not the best Mook tech we've ever seen. Uh, but they do need to play. Like I think with the Nets defense, like. The Cavs had were able to get back in that game, and I feel like the Celtics, if they just play the way they can play on offense and don't fall into like a one-on-one pissing match between Tatum and Durant, like I feel like that's the way the, the Celtics could potentially get in trouble. But like if they just kind of move the basketball, I just don't think the Nets' defense is that well. And you're right, they are unproven, and I think like some of the skepticism comes from just Ime Udoka being in his first playoffs, and you just don't know what he's going to do. But um, people forget that Ime Udoka coached the Brooklyn Nets last year. So maybe he's got some inside knowledge. Uh, your colleague, my colleague at The Athletic, but more your so your colleague since you're an actual journalist, Jason Quick, who covers the Trailblazers uh, for The Athletic, wrote a, a great story about Ime and kind of his Portland connection to two of his assistant coaches. Uh, I thought it was a, a fascinating story where Ime was kind of early on in the season hesitant. I, I mean, I called him a hardo Ime from from day one, but he was hesitant to call out his players uh, really for the first two months of the season. And then with what they credit with the turnaround was him just lighting into them with a, a 75 minute or 75 different clip film session. And he's really been kind of coaching the team hard and holding guys accountable since then, I'm going to be very interested to see kind of if he does the same thing in the playoffs and kind of how that kind of hard coaching and holds over in the playoffs and what kind of adjustments Ime makes being in his first playoff series. Um, I think it's just going to be fascinating to see what he does. And I just thought that was a, like just a very interesting story from um, Jason Quick out of Portland. Yeah, that was a great story. It, it, that part of the story that you just brought up was funny to me that uh, – the assistant coaches felt like Ime was not coaching the Celtics hard when game two of the season, he tortures them publicly. Game four or five of the season, he tortures them again publicly. Game, like every other game, it, it felt like he was torturing somebody publicly. Yeah, and but he wasn't doing it privately. He wasn't being mean enough behind closed doors. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to ratchet up the the mean level. And and so I I thought that was really funny and obviously after that Western Conference road trip like that was a really really bad trip and the Celtics they needed a kick in the ass that they, they needed I think at that point they were under five hundred and getting their asses handed to them pretty regularly um, and I can remember talking to some people around the team, some people around the league. And it was, it was like, at that point, it was like, you know what? Their, their statistical profile isn't that bad. (laughs) And I can remember having conversations with people about like, yeah, they're probably still like a top 10 team in the league, even the way they were playing when they were 
under 500 um, just because they had lost every close game basically and statistically like you're not just going to keep doing that but I think at that time the conversation was like people smart people that I know were wondering whether it was the supporting cast fault or whether it was like the main guy's fault, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, their play style. And, and I think we've learned since that it was kind of all of the above. And obviously, you know, Tatum and Brown can play together, but also I think they, they tweaked their playing styles and they have significantly improved uh, at, you know, I don't want to say unselfishness because I don't think they were ever selfish guys. I think they were always about winning but like just the habits of getting off the ball quicker, everything like that just really, really has made a difference for everybody else around them. And then the supporting cast needed changes too. like going from Dennis Schroeder to Derek White has just been enormous change. And I think like that's made all the difference. Um, but yeah, that that quick everyone should go read that quick story because it it was really really good and it gave another side of Eme. The, the the other part that I really enjoyed about it and opened my eyes a little bit was how Damon Stoudemire was talking about how he felt the losing and the way the first half of the season went really impacted Eme, and that he he as a friend Damon Stoudemire was like worried for him. Um, and just kind of let him know, like, I'm here for you if you want to talk. And he said he may didn't talk about anything, but he just kind of knew, like, things weren't right just because of the way things were going for the Celtics. Um, so it, it, that was another really interesting part of that story, I, I thought. We haven't really heard that because he may, to us, uh, he may publicly, he may in every way that we've seen has just kind of been, like, very steady, very positive, very about his business. Um and so to to hear that he it impacted him like that was pretty eye opening. Uh, so yeah, everyone everyone should should go read that. Um, what worries you the most about this first round series besides just the fact like they have Kevin Durant and <laughs> was, and Kyrie Irving can can just touch guy every once in a while? I did like. Maybe that the Celtics like shots don't fall. Like I am not like obviously you have the concern that it's like Kevin Durant and Kevin Durant's the best player in the series and can just like dominate for four games. But beyond that, it just feels like that's that's the majority of the Nets team. Like I don't just have that like that many concerns with the Celtics team, and I feel like the winning that they did and the, like the actual the pure domination that they had for the basically the final four months of the season. I know Robert Williams is out, but it takes me back to something. It's actually something Brad said when he opened his press conference after they lost to the Bucks in Kyrie's final year. And he just talked about like championship habits and how that team had zero championship habits and just like really could not rely on anything when things got tough. It feels like the Celtics have can just like rely on they know what to do to win basketball games and they've basically had four months of dominant basketball and playing basketball the right way and that's an email makes it very sound very simple it's just like oh playing hard on defense and sharing the ball 
um, which I thought was a funny quote from him because, yeah, it sounds very simple that way. But the Celtics have been doing that for four months. And so I have much more faith in their ability to when times get tough, when the Nets go on a little run. Um, I just have a more faith in the Celtics to react and go on a little run of their own. It feels like in this stretch, they have done a very good job of reacting to that and never really getting down big themselves. But even if they do get down big, always responding. And I think my, I have the concern that they're going up against Kevin Durant and the Nets and Ke- or Kevin Durant and Kyrie, but I still have like pretty, pretty confident in the Celtics ability to win this series. And I think, that while they'll be tough games. Yeah, I, I mean, I do think the Celtics will win the series. Um, I just think their their ability to defend Yellow. and to have size at every position and to put stress on the Nets non-defenders will be really important. Uh, I also think... You know, you talk about those habits. I think offensively, the habits came about more recently, um, and and they've been really good. But I think the right type of defense might be able to like send them back to some of the your turn, my turn stuff. I don't think the Nets have that type of defense. I don't think they'll be able to to switch and and force the Celtics into stagnant basketball because they don't have many capable defenders, quite frankly. Um, but yeah, to, to me, like, I guess <laughs> it, I, I asked the question, what what worries you beyond Kevin Durant and Kyrie? Those two guys are the worry. <laughs> that, that, is the, that is the worry. And I think especially if you lose a game at home early and start pressing, if – if it's 2-2 coming back to Boston, you start to feel that a little bit, you know, and and Kevin Durant, you know, he he's won multiple championships. He doesn't nothing affects him. Kyrie Irving, he's won a championship like I know he didn't have a great series when he was in Boston against Milwaukee, but he <laughs> he has played at the top level of basketball and and done that quite often. And and maybe maybe he I don't think he should be trusted to deliver like that the same way Durant is, but those guys have been there. They've done it at the top level enough that if they're in a two-two series and five minutes left, like you can count on Durant. You know you can count on Durant. And and th- this is a good series for Tatum to show how much he's changed in that in the last five minutes of a close game. He, not that he has to take over every time and he has to score every time. But can he get his team a good chance? And that's what separates the truly greats is that no matter what the situation is, they can get their team a great chance. They can figure out and solve whatever defense it is that the other team throws at them. And like I said, I don't know if the Nets will push him to that level where he needs to be that great uh, just because like, they'll have a lot of smaller guys on him. He'll, he'll probably be able to get a lot of what he wants rather than what they want him to get. Um, but what happens if it's two, two, five minutes left in game five, you know, I think that's when it could matter that the other team has Kevin Durant and the Celtics don't. 
Plus I think Bruce, that's the Bruce big Brown's question, MVP. but I feel like Jason... Bruce Brown MVP. <laughs> well, I mean, Bruce Brown Bruce just Brown. called out... Just called out, uh, said them uh, Celtics not having Robert Williams is huge because then the Nets can attack Tyson Horford in the paint. I think that's going to be interesting, but from Jason Tatum perspective, I think he's been that much better as a playmaker this year, and so I think he's right now in a position like I think guys like Kevin Durant even talk about him like being he's the next guy up and I think he's going to show that he's in that position to kind of when it comes down to crunch time he has an ability to put his team in the best position to win but I think the I wouldn't be surprised if the Celtics won the series in five games like I just think that they uh, are such playing such better basketball that I think they can take the the punch from Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving and still win a game. And I just think that the Nets have just not shown anything at all that's like consistent defense. Um, so I think the Celtics have a – I wouldn't be surprised if they won five games, but then I think they also – you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Kevin Durant was uh, Kevin Durant. That's some, that's some real middleman stuff, some real sitting on the fence, but um, – I would be the, I would be shocked if like the Nets came out and just like blew the doors off the Celtics. I think it's going to be close basketball games no matter what happens. Yeah, and I think it depends on whether the Celtics are what they've been over the last three months. You know, like over the last three months, they have played like a historic juggernaut. <laughs> like they have just trounced teams. They have been number one in defense, number two in offense since they fell to 18 and 21 on, I think it was January 7th. Like that, that's a f- pretty big sample size of just kicking everyone's ass. And if the Celtics are that team, and if they're that team without Robert Williams still, which is another question mark, um, then this is not a Nets team that should beat them. Like oh, to me, as, as good as the Nets are, as, t- as good as their top two guys are, they're a flawed team. They're a team that, you know, if 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 the Celtics really are a contender, like they've played like, then they should they should win this series with home court. Um, but but they also have to show that they are that team, and and that these last three months are real, uh, because you know as. As much as the Nets have struggled at times this season, when Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are on the court, their offense scored 122.8 points per 100 possessions. They had a 13.1 net rating. Like, that's incredible. Those two guys, when they're on the court, that is a pretty unstoppable offense and so this is no normal seven seed as many flaws as the nets have it's no normal seven seed and you know i I think there are things that the Celtics will be able to pick on um there are things that they'll be able to take advantage of but at the end of the day like the nets aren't your average seven like if those if Kevin Durant specifically had been healthy, if Kyrie had been able to play at home, that record is totally different. Even if James Harden didn't play a second off all season for them. Um, 
So, so that, that's where the fear is. And, you know, the 13.1 points per hundred possessions, like that is, that is really, really freaking impressive. Jason Brown and Jason Tatum, when they're on the court, the Celtics are plus 14.5. So it's almost the same. Um, very similar. And sounds like the Celtics are a little bit better though. Sounds like 1.2 <laughs> points, 100 points per possession. You know, and, <laughs> and it is a series. I think the Celtics depth could really show out. Um, because I think Derek White is going to be a problem for their backups. I think, you know, the when whenever Durant's not out there, I think the Nets are really, really going to have trouble scoring against Boston. And and I think the the depth could be what shifts this toward Boston. Um because I, I do like they have a much more complete team. A, a much deeper team of two-way threats and young guys who are closer to their prime than most of the guys on, on Brooklyn supporting cast who are either very young or just aren't quite as good as they used to be. Or are Ben Simmons and probably won't play at all. <laughs> who knows what's going to happen? We'll be here... Later in the week, I think we'll be joined by the host of our Nets podcast and former producer of this podcast, Mike Smeltz, uh, to talk about, uh, get his perspective. He's going to talk all sorts of nonsense. He's a Nets fan for God knows what reasons. He's told me about it for a number of times. But it still doesn't make any sense. Um, but we'll be back later in this week to give you more preview of Nets, Celtics, and then, of course, uh, after every game, we're still trying to figure out exactly what we'll do, but we'll give you our all breakdowns after every single net Celtics game. And we'll be with you guys throughout the rest of the playoffs. As far as this Celtics run goes, Jay, are you're not, you're not the prediction type. Do you have a prediction for us now? Or we got to wait for uh, later on in the week. Celtics in six. Ooh, I like that prediction. I'm going Celtics in five. Um, but you know what? I haven't really had a chance. The game just if, ended. If they win on the road, dive into the film. If they win oh, on the yeah. road, does Eme stomp on the Nets logo? <laughs> what logo? Just the Nets? I don't even know the, what they're like. Just go to the Barclays Center sign center and, court. and just stomp on it. <laughs> Maybe spit on it. I don't know if Eme holds that much resentment. Uh, Towards the Nets, he did was especially for them for Kyrie a year. was on his team when when Kyrie did that, and I bet Ime was hyping him up. It was like, yes, yeah, stump you, that. You think up. you think he told Kyrie to do that? That would be one hell of a twist. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Ime Ime's a, a cold dude. I think Ime was definitely uh, dapped up Kyrie after that. And was like, hell yeah, you showed them because Ime was a he wasn't about the Celtics then. He was about the Nets and he's about making a title run. And I think he's going to bring that same intensity. What What are the odds Ime brings up that as, shows as it one of film? his motivational tools? I think it's like one in one in eight. Nice little no, twelve and a half no, percent no. chance. He he brought up when Joel Embiid <laughs> said they didn't move the ball. Like he he brought that up as motivation. I I think I think I think there's pre- pretty close. To, I would say like. 55% chance that, that Ime brings that up. I It's like Joel Embiid is like criticizing the way the Celtics play basketball. This is 
stomping on a metaphorical leprechaun. Like I just don't see why the Celtics would be like that offended. But maybe maybe that's just see, me. This, maybe, this, like, this is why you were never good at sports because you never have pride. <laughs> I blocked the shit out of a thirteen year old just three days ago. Yeah, but you you had nothing for me once I went to the post. <laughs> yeah, because you got sixty pounds on me. Because I got pride. <laughs> All right. <laughs> is, I don't even I don't even respond to that. Is Jay, is your is your pride potable? It sure fucking is. And I think it's potable. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.